welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. Today I'm talking to Lucy Antal, a food campaigning charity Feedback Global. Feedback is a campaign group working to regenerate nature by transforming our food system. To do this, they challenge power, catalyse action and empower people to achieve positive change. Lucy's based in Liverpool in the UK and is the Northwest Project Manager for Feedback's regional food economy developing new networks of sustainable food projects. Feedback promotes a circular economy approach to food surplus, using it to feed people, animals and the soil. She's also engaged in creating the social enterprise Alchemic Kitchen. Lucy manages several other roles, supports charity projects, is a research associate at the University of Liverpool and a member of the International Commission on the anthropology of food and nutrition. In her spare time, Lucy enjoys writing and tweeting about food and making preserves as Grab Your Spoon. So Lucy, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. (laughs) Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so we first met at an event back in uh, 2018, I think it was, at Huddersfield University, where you were giving a presentation on behalf of Feedback Global all about food waste. Perhaps you could start by telling us a bit about Feedback Global's work, its background and so on. Absolutely. Okay. well, uh, Feedback is a campaign group and a charity um, that is working to regenerate nature by transforming our current food system. So what we say is that at the moment, the planet is suffering some extreme demands um, created by our current food system and we believe very much that delicious food for all should go hand in hand with protecting our environment. We were founded in 2013 and it's a combination of investigative research so this was what I was talking about when I met with you which was about um, looking at the issues around food waste and food surplus through supermarkets Uh, We also do some mass public participation feasts. So something we've run here in Liverpool was a disco chop where we dealt with 150 kilos of food that was otherwise going to be wasted. And we ended up feeding 60 people with it. So and got people involved and chatting and doing things. And we also have um, some pilot projects where we're trying to show off how it is um, that we could work with a better food system. So we've got things like the Regional Food Economy Project, which is what I lead on here in the North. Um, We've got things such as the Pig Idea, which is where we're trying to persuade 
the powers that be to look at look again at how food waste could be fed to animals rather than it just going directly to AD because we're spending far too much of our good agricultural land is being used to grow animal feed and this hasn't really been looked at since uh, 2000. Um, we also are looking at things like um, industrial meat production. We look at um, fish farms and the food that they are taking out of the ocean to feed those farms, which of course is then depleting it for wild fish. And we also have things like the Gleaning Network, which is where we go out with groups of volunteers to rescue food from the fields that is going to be left or ploughed under because it doesn't fit certain criteria for the wholesale market. Or to be honest, the farm has overgrown gluts because they have to fit certain criteria. So there's always going to be food over. We take groups of volunteers out there, we pick the vegetables or the fruit, and then we work with organizations like Fair Share to redistribute that to communities that can use it. Wow, what a massive scope of projects <laughs> underway there. And some really interesting yeah. uh, themes. Um, and I guess we're not gonna have time to, to talk about the pig idea, um, but I just made a note about people kind of perceive that energy from waste is a good thing but in the circular economy it should be the last resort and we should aim to get every single bit of value and in the case of food nutrients out of something before eventually it either goes to compost or some other last resort use and I guess that's the that's the thing with the pig idea isn't it that in in up until um, relatively recently um, you know, pigs were turning that waste into food um, and now all that waste is is going purely to make biofuels or other kind of uh, energy. So just to emphasise that, you know, energy from waste should be the last resort, not not the kind of the perfect circular economy. So, Lucy, when did you join P Feedback Global and how did you get involved in all of this? Well, I joined Feedback Global in the January of 2018. And um, prior to that, I had been working as the Sustainable Food City Coordinator for Liverpool. So that was working with uh, the Soil Association, Sustain and Food Matters as part of a, a very broad network across the UK. Liverpool was one of the first six cities that had a coordinator in place. And what we did was network quite extensively all the different ways in which food was being produced managed distributed ways in which food is um, playing such a huge part in things like uh, managing or supporting people to get out of poverty in ways in which it has its sustainable um, way to play in how it's grown and how it's distributed and that side of things and the role it also has to play with things like health so being able to grow food um, gives people a, a mental health booth because they're going outside into the fresh air it also means the food is fresher etc etc so that was one of the areas that I'd worked in and prior to that I'd also um, headed up um, an environmental charity called the National Wildflower Centre which was focused very much on the environment and how uh, wildflowers can be used as a way to support and manage pollinators thus helping it making it easier for us to grow fruit and vegetables across Britain and we used to use food quite a lot as a hook or a way of engaging with diverse audiences and so we worked with people like the Eden Project we worked with um, organizations such as the Royal Botanic Gardens up in Scotland and we had a lot of work to do with mixing 
our communities. So we took a group of um, the Chinese community from Liverpool, went down to Plymouth, and then they went to the Eden Project and played music and all this kind of thing. So it was all about the connections that you can make using food and the environment to connect with people. So in some ways, when this job came up, which was as a project manager for regional food economies, which was looking at three distinct areas, which was A, to create a social enterprise, which I will go into more detail later, B, to look at ways in which we could educate public in things like food citizenship and making them think more carefully about how they're, how they're sort of consuming and what they're consuming and buying and ways in which they could manage it better. And then C, the final bit of the puzzle is to um, give a lot of, give, give, give evidence and also to persuade policymakers to think more about how they're procuring food, where they're procuring it from, are there ways in which we could persuade um, anchor institutions to think more carefully about perhaps a less meat less meat but better meat to look at it being a more plant-based diet from a health and environmental perspective so there's all those different areas and then all of that becomes tied together in the notions of circular economy and ensuring that whatever we are producing is utilized to its fullest extent for humans then it goes to feed animals then it goes to feed the soil and then as you've very very rightly said it finally goes to anaerobic digestion rather than skipping those interim bits and removing those nutrients from the whole food chain which is what we're all about it's trying to ensure that we can show that food economies are the way forward and they're not always about gross profit it's about social value as much as anything else yeah that's an amazing range of projects that you've been involved in and some you know really fortuitous links in terms of bringing it all together with this connection between food communities health and so on and a couple of points that you made there one one of them comes back to the pigs and the the efficiency of the food system and what you were saying earlier about fish farms and this system that we seem to have got into whereby we're growing crops or fishing just to feed fish in fish farms and so on and I think people are starting to realize now just how inefficient that is in terms of yes not just the calories but the um the nutrition as well there was something on the radio for this morning with Patrick Holden from the Sustainable Food Trust and um I think I can't remember the lady's name but it from was Susten- Vicky. V- Vicky from Sustainable Vicky Heard so um mm-hmm. they were kind of agreeing on most of it but I think the information about the difference in nutrients in pasture-fed meat and I guess the same is true for wild fish the difference in the nutrients in what we end up eating versus things that are essentially factory farmed and fed on things that they shouldn't really be eating you know why should cattle be eating soybeans and the whole connection between that and the the end product and the micronutrients and its impact on our health I think is only just starting to be unpicked and it's certainly not in general conversation yet and and it seems like it really should be so yeah lots there not not just in terms of the circular economy and sustainable production but the whole thing about physical and mental health as you as you said so i know you wanted to talk about a few projects that you're involved in and i think we talked about um farm gate waste as as uh, the first topic that you wanted to um dig into a little bit <laughs> Yeah, well, this is something that my colleagues at Feedback have done a lot of research into because 
um, they produced a um, they produced a report which you can find on their on their website, which is uh, feedbackglobal.org, and this digs into what the reasons are behind the overproduction of fruit and vegetables on farms in the UK and why it is that we end up with surplus because at the moment or currently until very recently it hasn't been measured as a form of food waste and we discovered that there was you know sort of a good third of the food being produced wasn't even actually making it out of the the farm gate and we dug into this a bit more and had conversations with farmers, including uh, people like uh, Guy Singh Watson from River Riverford Organics. And a lot of it boiled down to the practices of the wholesale market, which they like to say is due to consumer demand. But I always ask the question, well, who's created that consumer demand? And it's kind of it's kind of, you know, it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. The, the, the sort of get out clause is, oh, well, the consumer wants perfect. The consumer wants this. And it's like, yeah, well, if not perfect was the only thing available, I think you'll find that the consumer will still eat it. You know, it's it's one of those, isn't it? And one of the things that we've been campaigning for or, or asking people to consider um, in terms of wholesale purchasing is the idea of whole crop purchase, which is that no matter what uh, quantity you end up with, that they will purchase the whole lot, because that then removes the pressure from the farmer to overgrow, because otherwise, if they've got an order where they're being asked for, oh, I don't know, 400,000 tonnes of cabbages that weigh no more than half a kilo each and are perfectly spherical in some way shape or form nature really doesn't work like that so as a result that means the farmer will sow 500 you know sort of thousand tons of of cauliflowers uh, or cabbages and then we'll have a hundred thousand that aren't actually being utilized because they've made up their quota and what happens to the rest and because food in many ways has become too cheap because it's the only thing that can kind of be on the fixed income for a lot of people it then makes it not financially viable or economically viable for the farmer to employ people to pick those spare vegetables and so invariably, they actually just get ploughed back under. So, yes, it's going back into the fields and it's going back into the soil. But at the same time, when you consider the sort of huge quantities of, of people who are struggling and the amount of food that therefore then gets wasted, it just it just seems like a very stupid way of managing food and managing the systems in our country. Yeah. And from the farmer's point of view, it's, you know, wasted labour well, do you know, Fuel. they're quite upset <laughs> as well when they see yeah, their hard work. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, they're, that, for them, it's it's it is genu genuinely a labour of love. You know that they are they are passionate about their product. Um, I mean, one of the farms we go to when we go with the gleaning network um, produces the most amazing kale and also Cavallo Nero and all that. And the farmer will stand and talk to the gleaners about this amazing product and how it's got more protein in it than, you know, than uh, spinach and how it's got more vitamin C and more vitamin A than an orange. And, you know, he's so passionate about what he does. And I think it I think it slightly breaks his heart when he has to plow it under. I think it's it's quite sad. So that was that was one of the things that we, we talked about. And that also has led us to look at look at supermarket practices in general. Um, there's been we've recently done another report which was looking at the availability of 
meat within supermarkets that was properly labeled as free range or organic and what there was or what rather there wasn't and what information is available on the labels and we've put uh, we've ranked the supermarkets in order about this and then sort of put it out there for them to think about and comment on so we are trying to hold supermarkets and wholesale retailers to account about the way in which they're running their businesses because at the end of the day it is being run as a profit making enterprise for shareholders and as a result things like social value become less important it's all part of that kind of neoliberalist kind of approach which is profit above everything else which has kind of got us into this mess whereby our food systems have just got bigger and bigger and bigger and at the same time we've got these very sophisticated ways of food being delivered literally just in time so supermarkets only ever carry enough fresh food to last you for sort of two to three days and if that supply chain breaks down and I'm going to mention the b word um, you can see where there's going to be shortage and problems. For our <laughs> listeners overseas which is um more than half the audience you might need to actually say the b word because otherwise people will be assuming it's a swear word well i suppose in some people's view it is a swear word but (laughs) yeah yeah talking about brexit yeah talking about brexit um because one of the things that i am particularly um how should i put it not in well incensed as well but also the irony of this sort of notion that we are going to be self-sufficient come the 31st of October, when nobody's actually looking at the figures of what we are currently importing in terms of fresh vegetables and fruit into this country. You know, we import considerably more than we export and we need that because we don't have the self-sufficiency. Yeah, I guess though, coming back to the, um, you know, the issues with supermarket waste and so on. So I used to work for Tesco um, back in mm-hmm. the um, 80s and early 90s and I project managed the working processes for our first multi-temperature food distribution network but one of the nightmares that we had at the time was seasonality in fresh food so the worst times of year um, for us were around Easter and the early bank holidays because the weather could be very um, you know either either brilliant and people would be picnicking or awful and you couldn't really tell until you know a couple of days before so the whole issue of what are your sales forecast doing how much lettuce how many strawberries are you going to buy all that kind of stuff was really difficult and of course the one way of solving that is to remove the seasonality from the consumer drive and demands by encouraging people to have strawberries all year round and salad all year round and all that and then your only problem is where in the world do you source it from yes so bringing us on to brexit sustainability self-sufficiency and so on in some ways that might force different behavior you know if if we're struggling to import things or if if we start to pay the real price of food because we're paying import tariffs on it then people might start to favor in-season veg from the uk ugly or not um and start to think more about where's this beef coming from because now brazilian beef isn't cheap because we may be paying a tariff on it so there are you know it could go it could go in many different directions but there are opportunities to get our food system back onto a much more seasonal local healthier direction as well if, yes, if, that would, if that policies step in to, to lend a hand. <laughs> um, so 
you want we started talking about the gleaning network and then we we moved on to um supermarket processes and and, and meat labeling and so on is there anything else you want to mention on the gleaning network and the kind of projects that you do for that just to just to explain yeah. it to people of course well the gleaning network has been running uh for about four or five years now i think and it started out as an as a as a as i say as a response to overproduction and surplus on farms and as a way of resurrecting the old practices which is after the harvest uh, people would be encouraged to go through the fields gleaning for the spare vegetables or the spare wheat or whatever so it's it's an old it's an old technique and in some ways some of the stuff that um, I'm getting involved with alchemic kitchen is also about reviving some of the old traditions and uh, techniques around preserving and keeping food uh, to make it last longer and getting people thinking a bit more about long-term uses of food rather than this instant thing so the gleaning network we've got um, in Kent and Sussex and near Brighton and we've also got a London one and then we have uh, gleaning northwest and we we sometimes in the northwest become a little a little jaded and a little sad because we are kings of brassicas you know you want cabbage we are your people so we can always get your cabbage and cauliflowers and greens and kale and then we see our colleagues down in kent and sussex going oh we've got we've had to pick so many cherries and you're like mm, cherries i'd love to have lots of cherries or oh we've had to pick lots of blueberries you're like mm, blueberries <laughs> so they get all the lovely fruit and we get all the greens so yeah but i digress it's still a fabulous thing to do um, we like we work together with communities and also with volunteers and this has been supported a lot through uh, RAP and through other organisations like the Evan Cornish uh, Foundation as well have helped us to be able to run these activities and we try and get out minimum of once a month but quite often particularly at this time of year it's a bit more than that so for example on Monday uh, a group of about 35 of us went out to a farm near Preston and we picked Savoy cabbages and we picked about a ton of Savoy cabbages and that was collected by fair share and has gone off to be redistributed to community spaces around the place but the advantage for us about doing this with volunteers is it's a lovely way to get people out and about we were working specifically this week with um, military veterans and their families so we had dads and mums who've been in the armed services um, bringing their children out to the field um, everybody got thoroughly muddy everybody got covered in mud um, there was one little boy who fell over and we had to cling film his feet to put them back in the Wellington boots because <laughs> so, there was so much mud um, but they had such a great time and the children in particular were really keen and really interested and it's great to see um the younger generation really getting out there and understanding this is where your food comes from which is partly why we do it as well like that and we put on a lunch and uh, we had a hilarious field kitchen of two trestle tables and a gas burner um and we made a lunch uh, under interesting windy weather conditions and we also had some people came over from manchester and we had a few folk from as I say from Liverpool as well and from the university and it's just a real mix of people all getting together a bit of fresh air and you feel like you're doing something worthwhile and useful at the same time and then we took the food um, some of the cabbages and we used them in a cookery workshop on yesterday so 
again that's showing people the journey and when we were feeding people out in the field on monday we were literally using cabbages that we just picked two minutes previously giving them a quick wash and then we were using those in some dal and also some uh fresh cabbage salads as well so it's just a lovely way of showing people exactly how your food can be as fresh as possible and what you can do other than just boil a cabbage brilliant that's that sounds fantastic so if people in the uk wanted to get involved in some of those uh, gleaning days how would they find out about them what you need to do is go to the feedback website um, feedbackglobal.org and you will find the gleaning network assisted under the campaigns and it is something that has um, a sign-up page and you can sign up to be notified and we are building that gleaning network bigger and bigger as it were so uh, we're working with communities in places like Sheffield to try and get one up and running in the Yorkshire area we're looking at other ones uh, further north around Newcastle so there's more and more of these networks being created and you can just sign up and then you are notified whenever we're doing a glean and if you're in the area or you'd like to come along you can go brilliant great well I'll put those links in the show notes as well fab thank you the other project that you mentioned a couple of times but we've not talked about yet is the alchemic kitchen which i think is a fairly a newish project yes yes well this is this is the social enterprise aspect of the regional food economy so the idea behind setting up a social um, enterprise was to demonstrate our theory that you can have a circular economy business that utilizes food and also provides employment and sustainability at the same time. So the concept behind the Alchemic Kitchen is to create a development kitchen. And we are then experimenting with all sorts of different fruit and vegetable products, but also we've been using what you might call edible byproducts as well. So I've been playing around with uh, Liverpool John Moore's students uh, from the nutrition team uh, have been helping me develop recipes using uh, mash from uh, beer making. So that's the grains that are left over from beer making. And we've turned that into granola and we've also turned that into flour for bread and for crackers. Uh, We've also played around with coffee grounds and came up with a rather fabulous uh, chocolate brownie recipe. Uh, which nobody is able to really identify the secret ingredient until I tell them. And then they're like, oh, yes, I can taste the coffee. Like, no, you couldn't. You did not know there was coffee in there. But again, looking at ways, because, for example, coffee, when you when you make a cup of coffee and you do it through the barista style with the proper coffee and everything else, you are only using 5% of the nutrients within those coffee grounds. So there is still something to be used from those coffee grounds. There is fibre. There is also some... Uh, vitamins and minerals in there and it seems such a shame given that it's such a premium product that gets shipped across the world you know that we just discard what's left of it so looking at ways in which we can utilize those in different ways or if we can turn them into uh, coffee bricks uh, to 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 use on barbecues there's all these different things so that's what we're doing with alchemic kitchen is we're looking to develop new products and ways in which we can add value to food that might otherwise be discarded or considered to be of no value. Um, So I mentioned before about old techniques. So we're doing things like making jams, we're preserving, we're salting, we're using ideas from around the world. So quite a lot of the cabbage that we picked on Monday got turned into Korean kimchi yesterday. So we're 
bottling and preserving that we were given um 15 kilos of cheshire tomatoes last week those have been turned into a passata and bottled and put aside to be used and so that's the sort of thing that we teach in workshops that we run as part of alchemic kitchen so we're showing people how they can utilize what they've got we're showing people the techniques of preserving we're talking about the fact that if you have a glut of tomatoes in the summer it is normal to then bottle those and have those ready for the winter so that you're not then having to purchase very expensive and very tasteless tomatoes that have been grown in hydroponics in tunnels in the Netherlands you can actually get a jar of your very nice tomato sauce out of the pantry and utilize it so that's kind of where we're going with that and one of the things that we focused on in particular is um, working with veteran um, military veterans um, we have quite a large cohort of those in Liverpool and Merseyside because we're one of the most fertile recruiting groups um, for those spaces and what we want to do is offer some alternative training and some alternative ideas around employment, um, looking in ways in which we could perhaps offer a chance to get into hospitality because we've got a real shortage of chefs and people working in food and there's more and more adverts for that all the time. So we're looking to train people in basic food skills and then find them work placements with some of the chefs and restaurants that we work with. And we're lucky to have some really um, supportive chefs in the area who are offering to do things like uh, masterclasses for our, for our students so that we can put that on their CV and show that they've done something. So it's kind of with social purpose. We also work with people in recovery, we also work with other communities. So we're going to be working in Knowsley and we are being given, we've been given a, a courtyard to operate out of in the Knowsley area and we're putting a shipping container in there. Uh, which is currently being fitted out and fingers crossed we'll be up and running by the end of September which is quite exciting and it also means I can get lots and lots of things out of my house which would be great. <laughs> wow I'm just I'm just amazed by the sheer scope and scale of some of the, the projects that that you're doing and and uh, the ways you can touch touch and um, improve people's lives through food and, and as you say through the social connections as well. Um, a friend of mine locally works for Help for Heroes. So yes. I'll mention, you know, and they, they may well be involved in some of the stuff. I know there's a, a bakery on the um, on the nearby garrison that trains ex-vets who've got disabilities and so on, on how to bake. But yeah, all the kind of stuff around salting and preserving and making sauerkraut and fermenting and all that sort of stuff, which I've started to get into over the last couple of years. And I think it's one of those things that seems really scary and technically difficult to start with and then once you have the basics you realize actually it's you know it's really easy yeah and um you know the results with I, I did a kimchi a while ago with rhubarb from the from the garden and apples and I think there was fennel or something in it and loads and loads of ginger and chilies and stuff and it was absolutely amazing whether I'll ever manage to recreate that one <laughs> Absolutely. And just going back to, to coffee as well, which seems to be a recurring theme on the on the podcasts. I put in the book, um, I worked with Adam Fairweather. His main business is Smile Plastics, but he was working with a coffee company called Green Cup. They're full service. They provide the coffee machines, the coffee, and they'll take the coffee grounds away. Um, and he'd been working with them to try and find as many different uses for waste coffee grounds as possible, including even a 3D 
printer filament that was used to make the outer case of a coffee machine, which thought was you know quite a good full Amazing. circle. Yeah, yeah. But all the things <laughs> like um, coffee flour and uh, and it's you know that figure of only five percent of the nutrients are used is a real you know shocking statistic and. There are lots of cafe owners wanting to do something, giving giving it away for fertilizer, which is, you know, it's still useful, but there's so much else we could get out of it before the last bit yes. goes to fertilizer. And that's got to be the key, hasn't it? Getting that information out there yeah. to people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I realized I forgot to mention the sort of the sustainability uh, aspect of Alchemic Kitchen, which is what we are doing is setting us up a subscription service. So we're going to uh, post out to people a couple of jars of whatever it is we make that month. And that's part of the income generation that will then enable us to run more classes. And the other area that I keep boring for England on that everyone's just going, oh, loose shush, is um, the amount of um, game birds. And it's very pertinent now, given that it's game season, but pheasant and it's the amount of birds that get shot during these shoots that then don't get utilized and also venison and other things when the the, the deer killing so i've got this obsession about doing charcuterie and reviving some of the old british techniques around um you know sort of like the different different flavors that you would get in different spaces for sausages the different cuts for bacon all of that kind of thing ways in which we can utilize that so I've, i'm looking at uh hopefully building a smokery and the estate that we're going to be attached to um, has a has an executive chef working at nosy hall and they're getting a game license so they're going to have a game larder so he and i are plotting <laughs> and we're going to hopefully do some butchery courses as well because this is this is a um a product that needs to be used because a lot of these birds and animals do have to be culled but it seems so wasteful for that just to then be buried in a, in, a, in a pit when we could do something with it and also be able to feed people with it as well. Yeah, I quite agree. But this whole thing, you know, it comes back to the the vegan vegan campaign that's from an ideological point of view. And some of the issues with with meat and the rearing of meat and the factory farming of meat you know the conditions yeah. are horrific they're not eating what they should eat and as we said before um meat and fish that's eaten what it should eat and and lived in ways that are natural is a lot healthier and has loads more micronutrients and i would argue that mm -hmm. so ethically if you're going to eat meat that that feels better to me than than the kind of factory farming process but it seems that seems to be being being lost probably because of this waste and consumption and the and the perception um that these birds are just killed for fun if we can if we can yes. make it that it's the start of a really healthy food chain um and getting good tasty nutritious food into people and finding ways to preserve it better and you know get those traditional skills back um then that could all look very different yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that. But I think the other the other aspect of all of this as well is going back to that notion, which, again, is something that my organisation feedback have been examining, which is this idea of food citizenship, that you're not a passive consumer, that you have a role to play as somebody who is invested with what's on your plate. 
and the value of food. It always seems shocking to me that I see food in supermarkets that's marked down to sort of 10 pence or whatever. And you kind of look at that and think that has traveled, that has used water, somebody's picked that, somebody's grown that, somebody's gone to all of this effort. And yet, because it's been overproduced in terms of the fact that the supply is too big and we've got too much of it, we just lose all value for it and it's marked down to 10 pence and that's the end of it. And you just think, no, no wonder we don't think about where our food comes from because the assumption is, is that it's always going to be this cheap, it's always going to be this available and it just isn't. And if we want to make a better world and a more ethical world and a world that's got a better chance of regenerating, we really do need to break down these massive food chains and start looking at how we can be more local produced and less and reuse and every single scrap of value got out of that food where we can. Yeah, I quite agree that the how to do that, I think, is is really complicated. But I think some yeah. of the work you're doing to connect people with, you know, the farm to begin with and some of these simple, fast techniques that you can use to transform you know cheap seasonal vegetables into kimchi and 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 all that kind of stuff and you know all the kind of um because because i think once you've put the effort into doing something like that you know half the pleasure out of that kimchi came from the knowledge that you know i'd kind of done it myself and it and it felt a bit yeah. difficult to start with and a, you know a bit scary but the, the end result was really tasty and lasted lasted well <laughs> so it's that kind of um, you know, it's just like baking or whatever else, isn't it? That you've kind of, you know, yeah. you've played your part in transforming some ingredients into something really tasty that you can share with people. Um, and not only that, from the kimchi point of view and the preserving point of view, you can use stuff that's surplus, that's cheap and so on. And it kind of creates these stories that start to engage people with the process instead of just having what the supermarkets decide they want to sell us this week that probably has lost yes. a load of its nutrients already. Mm. Well, something something we, we did yesterday, because um, we did this cookery workshop, we've, we've run a few activities over the last two weeks. And I also get quite a lot of the ingredients that I use from our local wholesale fruit and veg market. And what I do is I have a, I have a third generation greengrocer called Jimmy, who uh, speaks with a very, very thick Scouse accent. I'm not even going to go there and try and try and try and deliver a version of it. But he is passionate about food not being wasted and he goes and he persuades all of the um, wholesalers there to sell me their fruit and veg which could be classed as too ripe for future sale so it's still perfectly edible it's still perfectly lovely but because it won't last sitting on a market stall for four days they can't sell it so I got a tray of the most beautiful white peaches that were otherwise going to be just be discarded. And I got I got plums and I had all these amazing foods and we used them to do a cookery demonstration last week at uh, a children's day out. So there was about 200 children families coming together and we did veg stir fries. We made Vietnamese spring rolls using fresh herbs and vegetables. And we made fruit kebabs with all the amazing fresh fruit that I'd got. But we still had some of these uh, peaches over and we still had um, some of the some of the tomatoes as well. And we used those yesterday 
as part of the um, food workshop. So we, we made focaccia bread and we put the tomatoes onto that and we roasted the tomatoes and made a tomato soup. And you had that with the focaccia, but we also used the peaches to make bread and butter pudding where we'd got stale bread that we we're using up. And then I still had some peaches over this morning. So I've made up a batch of peach and basil conserve. So again, it's about being a little bit different, being a little bit agile with things, but nothing has ended up in the bin. And we even sieved some of the peaches for Bellinis, which I can thoroughly recommend if you're having a bad week, Prosecco and a splash of white peach nectar. Um, and then I used the pulp and the skins of those peaches to make cakes. So we put those into cakes. And yesterday we had some very black bananas that had been given to us by Fair Share. And one of the one of the ladies on the course said to me, oh, you can't do nothing with them, love. And I was like, no, you can. And we made banana bread. And she went away going, I'm never throwing a banana away again because I can do that. And I was like, great, there you go. My job is done, you know. <laughs> but it's that kind of thing, getting people to think a little bit outside the box, not to automatically assume that if it's really ripe and a bit squishy that you can't use it because you can. Mm. So it sounds like you need a YouTube channel to get all these videos and you know, recipes and techniques out to the world, um, you know, oh, instead of well. instead of um, just the, the the lucky people who are uh, directly involved in the in the kind of events that you do. Brilliant. So that's that sounds really good. So, um, Lucy, we've we've um, mentioned a few organisations and links along the way and we can exchange details afterwards and i can put all of those links in the show notes but in terms of how people get in touch with you or or feedback global um do you want to mention any links over the air yeah thank you well um you will find alchemic kitchen um we're on twitter we're on instagram and we're also on facebook so you can find us all there and you can also sign up for something we have a tiny letter so we send out a little newsletter every sort of couple of weeks to a month, which just updates you on what we're up to. Uh, feedback are also on Twitter and um, Instagram and Facebook. So you can find us all over social media and you will also find us uh, with our, our websites as well. And you can find out how to get involved with all the different campaigns that we do um, in your area. And we also have lots of links to other organizations that are working in the same arena. Um, as we are not precious about this, we like to share our best practice and, and vice versa. And we'd love to, love to have your support in our, all of our endeavors. Thank you for having us as well. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So it was great to talk to you, Lucy, and you've shared so much brilliant information about all the wonderful projects that you're doing and I'm sure giving people lots of ideas and food for thought as it were I'm sure you get that pun all the time <laughs> in, in terms of what to think about when you're buying food and what to think about when you're um, looking at a fridge or a larder full of things that you've bought because they look good and you haven't managed to yet use them so making sure no absolutely nothing goes to waste so thank you very much Lucy and good luck with all the rest of your many range of projects thank you if you'd like to learn more about the circular economy why not go back and listen to episode one head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book a circular economy handbook for business and supply chains which takes you through the practicalities including lots of real examples from around the world you can get in touch via the website rethinkglobal.info or send us a tweet at rethink underscore global.
please let us know what you think of the podcast. And you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. Bye.